The Pilot Fish, Thalcrates Ductor, is one of the great Me Too players of the ocean world. Pilot fish love to follow ships, causing mariners to believe, over the centuries, that they actually help guide ships to their proper destination. A carnivore of the horse mackerel family, pilot fish are familiar to most as those who swim closely beside sharks. In sub-aquatic jargon, they live a mutualist relationship, dining on ectoparasites and leftovers from the host species. It's your basic saltwater win-win. The host species swims parasite-free. The pilot fish enjoys three squares. At a glance, though, the hierarchy appears obvious. The shark is the big kahuna. Pilot fish are the lackeys, the peons, the toadies, the hangers-on. You can imagine pilot fish looking for a shark. You don't imagine a shark shopping for pilot fish. Now, hold that thought and join me on terra firma. Here at the Chelsea Flower Show, the crown jewel of fancy foliage festivals. It's been a high point of the spring social season since 1862, interrupted now and then for war, including the 1940s, when its site was commandeered to make room for an anti-aircraft battery. Even among the horticultural who's who, it's a tough ticket. Never mind how long it took me to choose this hat. Given the modest 11-acre site on the grounds of the Royal Hospital, Chelsea limits attendance to 157,000. The royal family will be given a private sneak preview. Others, including Ringo Starr and Barbara Bach, will have to rub elbows with the rest of the common folk. At one point, new flower species will be unveiled, very much the way new fashions are launched on the runways of Paris. A highlight is the awarding of gold medals for garden design. This is where the muckety-mucks of flora fight ho-to-ho -ho for the title. Writing in The Guardian, designer Andy Sturgeon notes that the average cost of a 23 by 10 meter plot is believed to be about 250,000 pounds. And that buys a lot of sheep poo. If you want to be a player, you're going to need, you know, seed money. Okay, okay you've got to have a sponsor. Mr. Sturgeon's backer? Cancer Research UK. He boasts that for their investment, they get three million pounds worth of positive PR through coverage on television, in newspapers and magazines, and on the web. Advertisers used to be the pilot fish of modern events, paying for the privilege of swimming alongside with that Me Too look on their face. Yet in just the past few years, that's changed. Today, it's the advertisers who are courted, and the gamers, athletes, artists, and horticulturalists who come a-calling. My name is Terry O'Reilly. Over the next few minutes, I'll show you how a shift in attitude is changing the face of the arts, of sports, of communities, and how charities, competitors, governments, even home internet users are looking to advertisers as the new sugar daddy in the age of persuasion. I want chicken, I want liver. I want a bottle of Coca-Cola, That's us! I see me the ball! 
Hey, great. A toothpaste should bite Kathy. I can't believe I ate that whole... Stereo Television. And now, Terry O'Reilly and the Age of Persuasion. There you go again. This is the Boston Marathon. Dare I say it, the Chelsea Flower Show of athletic events. Take a look around, and you'll notice upwards of 20,000 participants. You'll notice the route lined with some half million spectators. You'll notice that we are not playing the Chariots of Fire music. You're welcome. Ironically, though organized by the Boston Athletic Association, only one BAA member, John J. Kelly, has won the men's event. 26 world records have been set at the Boston Marathon, 23 of them in men's and women's wheelchair categories. Yet in all the Boston Marathon's run, the one in 2008 turned heads because of one thing, advertising. Corporate sponsors had been part of the marathon for some time, but never before had the corporate banners been posted along the route. Among them were signs, one meter by nearly three, by its major patron, John Hancock Insurance, including signs at the finish line, the greatest single focal point. Also at the finish line were signs for Adidas. With a hefty finish line crowd and some 250 accredited media outfits, it's a coveted spot for any marketer. In terms of underwriting, it's one small step for the marathon. Hancock, Adidas, and several other corporate backers have supported the race for some time. Yet it's a giant leap for the image of the Boston Marathon, an event that had flourished ad-free for some 11 decades. To soften the blow, the BAA announced that the prize purse would grow more than 25% to $796,000, a purse funded in part by the folks at Hancock. You should save for a rainy day, but how? An ordinary Perhaps they took a lead from the ING New York City Marathon. In 2003, the then New York City Marathon made a decision so many are making nowadays. Why struggle for funding when you can woo a corporate sponsor and you know. Save your money. Before we work up too much of a sweat, it's worth noting the difference between sponsorship and advertising. Sponsorship is a kind of Me Too branding, associating a brand with the reputation of an event. A time-honored prestigious event like the Boston Marathon or the MasterCard Memorial Cup can do wonders for a brand's reputation. But a sponsorship doesn't make a brand. That is almost always done by the right strategy and well-executed advertising. The U.S. Golf Association went 113 years without a corporate sponsor. Then, within a year and a half, it had four, including Lexus. Yet Lexus needed to have the right brand cachet to make it a fit with the USGA. The sort of cachet it created with innovative advertising like this. The new generation of hybrid vehicles from Lexus. Combining high performance 
with superior fuel economy. How? Each Lexus hybrid switches seamlessly between electric motors and a petrol engine to maximize performance in all conditions. Will you notice it switching from one to the other? Did you notice that I'm not the same person you heard speaking at the beginning of this commercial? We switched halfway through. Superior fuel efficiency, hand in hand with superior power. Some ideas evolve, some break through. High performance hybrids from Lexus. There's an irresistible simplicity to that spot. It uses such a smooth, subtle, and yes, seamless creative device to illustrate its point. And once you hear that ad, you're inclined to listen very carefully a second time to pick up the point of transition. Actually, it's not as hard as it seems. To begin a sentence with one, one announcer, announcer and shift seamlessly to another without anyone noticing. Did you notice I'm not Terry O'Reilly? Hmm? Well? See, there's nothing to it. The point is, Lexus built an upscale yet accessible brand reputation before it could be considered a worthy match for the U.S. Golf Association. The key is that Lexus is the right fit with the audience the USGA wants to cultivate. For all of Goodyear Tire's sponsorship of Formula One racing, before switching to NASCAR, and of America's Soapbox Derby, and of, wait for it, the Hollywood Bowl, they still need conventional advertising to shape and grow their brand image. In the end, no sponsorship can do for the brand what can be done in a clever ad. Jan Janu January February April Vector 5 Plus The all-season tire from Goodyear November December One of the advantages of broadcast media is that they offer a monopoly on the audience. A newspaper might fill a page with ads, yet advertisers on radio or TV get a piece of media real estate all to themselves. That spot, from Germany, creates the sort of brand impression Goodyear can't likely make as a corporate sponsor to the Hollywood Bowl. In the end, advertising and marketing build brands. Corporate sponsorships sustain them. May 10, 2008. A remarkable new work is set to debut by renowned Canadian playwright Judith Thompson. It's part of the Toronto Fringe Festival. The St. Ambroise Brewery was proud to sponsor the 2008 Toronto Fringe Festival. It's called Body and Soul, featuring stories and performances from 13 women, all non-professional actors about the, quote, second act of their lives. The play was commissioned by Dove, as in the beauty bar. All right, settle down, settle down, remain seated. Harkening back to the proverb, only Nixon could go to China, only a playwright of Ms. Thompson's caliber could credibly attempt to create a play conceived and bankrolled by a soap brand. Ms. Thompson was quick to defend the play, which was well received, and which, she insisted, never mentioned or pandered to the sponsor's product. Though, 
theatergoers did find gift bags of Unilever products under their seats. It takes most people about this long to link the Judith Thompson play to the old soap operas of the 20s, vehicles to lure housewives to suggestive overtures of longer-lasting suds and soft, supple hands. On to the offensive went Ms. Thompson, who said, It's obvious that theater has always had sponsorship. Shakespeare was sponsored by the monarchy. When you read his plays, there's clearly pandering, because he had to pander to them so that his theater would survive. And she's right. Sort of. Four centuries back, William Shakespeare, like any actor-playwright, needed an income source, especially in those dark times before anyone begat the term corporate partner. And while he was cozy with Queen Elizabeth, and later King James, the bard actually made his dough, or doweth, as a businessman, through his partnership in a theatre company, through his membership in a syndicate of theatre owners, and by leasing properties he inherited from dear old dad. Still, Ms. Thompson's point is taken. Artists tapping advertisers for cash today followed precisely the M.O. of artists backed by wealthy patrons in past centuries. Just follow the money. Except back then, the sugar daddies wore frillier clothes. Three centuries back, the likes of J.S. Bach could make a tidy living in the music game, but usually only if he got a gig with a church or in the court of some regal muckety-muck. In those days, the upper crust bolstered their reputations by holding splashy events, which required composers, choirs, and orchestras to set them to music. They were the sponsors of so many of the great musicians. Pandering happened. Like many artists of the Renaissance, many great composers were treated as mere servants, and no one dared challenge their patrons. Well, almost no one. For all his genius, Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart didn't always work and play well with his patrons. When he couldn't land the gig he wanted in the royal court at Salzburg, he became the first major freelance musician, organizing his own concerts and scooping commissions where he could. Yet rarely did he keep ahead of his expenses. Go figure. A musician with money problems. Things changed by the time Beethoven hit his stride. With the Industrial Revolution, money and power slowly shifted from royalty and the church to industrialists and ultimately consumers. Beethoven, who, if you must know, kept a picture of Bach on his desk, made a tidy living staging his own concerts, often refusing overtures from royalty, leaving himself free to write the music he wanted. And though Beethoven wouldn't live to see it, a new economic wave was coming, an unstoppable wall of ad-driven commerce. In time, artists, athletes, governments, and some unlikely new players would draw from its waters. My name is Terry O'Reilly. 
And this is the age of persuasion. This is the Laurel Trail in Waterloo, Ontario. A popular spot to walk or bike away the stresses of city living. Once here, the stresses of city living fade out as easily as, will you pipe down, we're trying to do a show here. Here, you might escape urban stress, but not advertising. In the spring of 2008, Waterloo City Council voted to take $2,500 from the Egg Marketing Board. In exchange, the bike trails here, and in two other Waterloo parks, will be marked with Get Cracking ads and the Egg Marketer's web address. It's an experiment to test the public's tolerance of using advertising to supplement the city's revenue. One councillor, voting in favour, thought the Get Cracking ads were cute. Another protested that trails were intended as an escape from the ad-emblazoned urban landscape and wondered if golden arches wouldn't soon adorn the City Hall parking lot. And while the players vary, the same dialogue is cropping up in thousands of cities and towns. Today, in exchange for name recognition, corporate partners help finance public parks, hospitals, universities, government programs, and even civic infrastructure. So much of it unheard of a half-century back. What happened? Financial incentives aside, there was a psychological barrier to deal with. Until recently, taking an advertiser as a partner was akin to selling out. In the age of persuasion, advertisers as partners aren't just tolerated, they're embraced. If you have any doubt that advertising is becoming more accepted, get a load of this metamorphosis. Robert De Niro was co-exec producer on the acclaimed, if short-lived, TV series Tribeca. Producing is one thing, but shooting a promo, in effect an ad for the show, took him well outside his comfort zone. A moment captured forever in this notorious YouTube clip. When we created Tribeca, we wanted to capture all the emotion, all the energy, and all the power of a movie. See for yourself, Tuesday on Fox. Do another? Yeah, that's all right. Good. I'm sorry, I got, uh, that's energetic. You don't know, you don't know what you're talking about. Yes, excuse me. No. Tuesday on Fox. No, sorry, I'm not selling cars, okay? Cars? No. But American Express? Well, that's different. My oldest friend. My first love. My heartbreak. Especially when Amex invites Mr. De Niro to frame it as a love letter to the city of New York. My life happens here. My card is American Express. And which A-list director condescended to shoot that TV ad? Well, for Robert De Niro, it has to be Martin Scorsese, who appeared in his own Amex ad. And, for good measure, Scorsese also crossed the line to appear in this cinema ad for AT&T. Here, a woman is chatting on the phone with her husband, who's out of town, as she tucks their child in bed. When who should walk into the room but Mr. Scorsese, who starts directing the kid and his mom. No, he's still up. You want to say goodnight? Here's Daddy. No, 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 
Look, the plot of this phone call just isn't working for me. It's ordinary, it's pedestrian, I've seen it a million times, okay? Excuse me, Excuse what? me, there's no edge, there's no edge to it, there's no edge to it. He's just got out of prison, all right? He's just got out of prison. Daddy's in Cleveland. He just got out of prison. He's a very dark and mysterious figure in your life, very dark and mysterious to you, no, okay? Yes, he is, dark and mysterious. You hardly know him. In fact, you don't even call him Daddy. To you, he's Frank. To you, he's Frank. That's how detached you are. That's how separate you are. He betrayed you. You want to kill him, but you keep it locked up inside in here, okay? But one day, vengeance, vengeance. Can you say vengeance? Vengeance. Vengeance. Excellent. He's doing fine. And you, you're trapped in a loveless marriage. Totally loveless, okay? And you should be drinking something out of a bottle. You have a bottle around? Downstairs. Now get it, please. Okay, good. Then, filmgoers see the graphic. We won't interrupt your phone calls. Please don't interrupt our movies. A message from Martin Scorsese and AT&T. Call it cause or effect, your call. As we've discussed in the past, few A-list celebrities would have gone anywhere near advertising just a generation ago. Silver screen giants were above selling things. Yet, when Martin Scorsese appears in a commercial, you know things have changed. For actors, a credit in one of his films is a prized addition to any CV. If Marty makes an ad, it's okay. Nuff said. Taking money from advertisers is becoming more than acceptable. It's becoming almost universal. Nowadays, web hosts and bloggers are making money, even a living, with online content. Services such as Google's AdSense will place ads on a given site or blog and pay the administrator, usually based on the number of unique visitors over a given time. The user sees which ads will appear on their site, and if they disapprove, AdSense provides alternatives. The ads, meanwhile, vary according to the country each visitor lives in. There are entire blogs, sponsored, of course, dedicated to helping people maximize ad revenue on their blog. The trick, of course, is generating content that will draw unique visitors that attract advertisers. Well, heck, how hard can that be? Today, recreation curling rinks, beer league hockey teams, and up-and-coming athletes are constantly on the prowl for sponsored ads to offset costs. In curling circles, a rink might draw prestige from the caliber of the sponsor it can attract. So have extreme athletes, UFC contenders, and skateboarders whose careers are made or broken by the number, size, and reputation of advertisers willing to sponsor them. In games such as the Tony Hawk Pro Skater series, gaming imitates life as your fictional player competes in the gravitationally vexing world of competitive boarding. Even within the fiction of the game, progress is measured by the sponsors a player attracts. Even elite gamers or cyber athletes who spend years hearing, Are you still playing those video games? I suppose you think you'll make a living at it. Are, well, making a living at it with prize money and hefty sponsor fees. Warning. The following is not suitable for children between the ages of, oh, I don't know, two and a half and thirty. 
As a service to parents, we will temporarily repel young listeners with a strategically chosen music track. In some cases, cyber athletes are eligible for tournament prizes, often backed by major electronics companies reaching six, even seven figures. Elite teams court sponsors, who will often pay their travel expenses to international tournaments, where games are televised, and the gaming elite are treated like rock stars. For the sponsors, it's a savvy move, a rare chance to make a brand impression on a generation increasingly immune to conventional marketing. All clear. Please go about your lives. Since the heyday of royalty and nobility and church hierarchy, there's been sponsorship. Only in the past few generations has that influence and power shifted to advertisers. Why? To paraphrase Willie Sutton, because that's where the money is. Advertisers are the new sugar daddy, but not just for artists. In their restless desire to be heard over the din of daily ad clutter. They're finding newer, more remarkable ways to spread their wealth, among cyber athletes, bloggers, even governments. Anyone who might put their brand favorably in front of an audience. Meet the new boss, decidedly different from the old boss. In the age of persuasion, Terry O'Reilly and Mike Tennant, who have created and written the Age of Persuasion. Are made possible by a generous grant from engineer Keith Oman. Title theme by Ari Posner and Ian Lefevre, formerly of the Court of Emperor Joseph II. <laughs> the Age of Persuasion is produced for CBC Radio by Pirate Toronto.